Well, in your bulletin, you might notice that uh, we have a little bit of a giving update. Our total 2017 mission giving for Eliza Broadus, that's our state missions giving, is $3,441.75. And Lottie Moon is $20,961.39. That's almost $21,000. Amen? Praise God for your generosity. And because of your generosity to our church, uh, we're going to be able to move forward with some lights and video and all that kind of good stuff and other projects uh, soon in the coming year or in the year we're in now. Also, uh, I was talking to Alan Witham, our regional consultant, um, probably two or three months ago, and I asked him, how are we doing with missions, giving? And he said, well... You're about 17th in my group. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. There's maybe 100 in your group. I said, how many is in your group? He said, 300 and something. So that's good. You keep giving, okay, as God blesses, all right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your goodness and love. Thank you for music and the time to sing and now the time to look at your word. Thank you for all that you do. We love you and we give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Question, how many of you want to thrive in 2018? You don't want to just survive. You don't want to just get by. You want to thrive. You want to be everything that God has called you to be in the coming year. See, as I understand God's word, God didn't call us just to get by. God didn't call us just to survive. God has called us in the middle of whatever circumstances we may be facing in this life to thrive. See, as I read the Bible, Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Romans 8, 37 says, you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you believe that? Ephesians 3, 20 says, you serve a God who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than you can ask or think or even imagine. Do you believe that? 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, 4 says, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Say the word victory with me. Victory. Now, that does not mean life is going to be easy. It does not mean you're going to escape all the problems. That doesn't mean that you're never going to have a headache or you're never going to have a heartache. Following Jesus Christ is not an exemption notice from all the problems of his life. But following Jesus Christ gives you power for living whatever you may be facing in this life. Last week we started the sermon series called Thrive. Last Sunday we talked about thriving in your relationship with God. Next Sunday we're going to talk about thriving as a witness in the world. Today, we're going to talk about thriving in relationship with others. The setting here in John chapter 13 is the Lord's Supper, also known as the Last Supper. And in the middle of the time together there in the upper room, you know what the disciples are doing? They're arguing with one another about which one of them would be the greatest. Imagine that. Here is Jesus about to die on the cross for the sins of the world the very next day, and the disciples are there in the upper room arguing among themselves about which one of them would be the greatest. But watch what Jesus does in verse 4. Jesus got up, 
from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Too many people have the idea that success is about bossing other people around. If you're truly a success, you'll be in charge. If you're truly a success, you'll make more money than other people. Well, that's not success in God's economy. Success is about serving others. You see, the Christian life is not about you. It's not about you getting your way. It's about serving others. Jesus, our ultimate example, was about others. Think about it. What if Jesus would have gotten ticked off with his disciples? He's about to die on the cross, and here's the disciples arguing among themselves about which one of them would be the greatest. Jesus could have thought, Peter, I know you're going to deny me. Thomas, I know you're going to doubt me. Look at the rest of you arguing among yourselves about which one of you is going to be the greatest. I'm not going to the cross. What if Jesus would have thought about what those Roman soldiers were going to do to him? They're going to mock me. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to slap me around. They're going to whip me. And then they're going to nail me to the cross. I don't think so. What if Jesus would have said, hey, I am not going to the cross because I know what these soldiers are going to do. And if I do go to the cross, I am not forgiving them. Yet what did Jesus say? Is they're nailing him to the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What if Jesus would have looked ahead some 2,000 years later and seen you? He said, I know how you're going to let me down. I know how you're going to fail. I know how you're going to blow it. I'm not dying for you. But thank God, Jesus looked ahead, and he loved you right where you are. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for you, and that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you. He didn't wait for you to think about attempting to get your act together. He didn't wait for you to go to church 257 times. He saw you in your sin. He said, I love you, and I'll die for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that good news? Jesus Christ bore your sins on the cross. So here Jesus is with his disciples. The night before, he's going to be mocked and beaten and stripped and nailed to a cross. That's the context here in John chapter 13. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. He's in the middle of one of his most intimate teaching sessions with his disciples at the Lord's Supper. And Judas, the disciple who would betray him, has just left the building. That brings us to verse 31. When he, that's Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Did you notice one word that was used five different times? Glorify, 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 glorify. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about going to the cross. From a first century perspective, however, the cross did not look like glory. It was suffering, torture, humiliation, 
and agony, yet Jesus Christ did that for us. There's the deal. The cross would be followed by the resurrection, which would be followed by the ascension and ultimately would lead to our salvation. The cross would lead to the truth of Philippians chapter 2, where the Bible says one day every knee will bow. And every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's going to be glorious. Amen? But the view from the upper room, the view from the Last Supper, the view from the cross did not look glorious. Some of the things you may do to serve the Lord may not look that glorious to the world either. Like feeding the homeless at room at the inn. Or deferring to other people in matters of preference. Or giving up your rights in order to serve other people. Or maybe you're looking for a job. There's 4% unemployment. You still can't find a job. Or maybe you thought you were doing a good job, but you lost your job, and now you can't pay the bills. Or maybe you got a bad report from your doctor. Or maybe your kids are strung out on drugs. Or maybe you thought you were going to marry Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Amazing, Prince Charming, and he turned out to be more like the second cousin of Satan. Or maybe the circumstances of your life make you feel like a fire hydrant in a dog park. Circumstances of your life may not always be that great, but I got good news for you. You serve a God who's great. You serve a God who is good all the time. You serve a God who's promised to never leave you, never fail you, and never forsake you, and to be there and be your strength no matter what you're going through. Here in John chapter 13, Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples. It's the night before the crucifixion, and he tells them in verse 33, My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. When Peter hears this, he doesn't like it one bit. In fact, look at what he says in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, you got to admire Peter's passion. He says, Lord, I am willing to even die for you if need be. I'll do whatever I need, but I'm not going to desert you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to fail you. All these other guys, you know, James and, and John and Bartholomew and all those other disciples, they'll probably let you down, but I'm not. I'm the man, right? I love Peter's passion. His uh, arrogance is a little off the charts. He's got a lot of passion. However, like a lot of people, Peter's want to is better than his follow-through. Verse 38. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter, you think you're the man. You think you will not fail me. You think you will not deny me. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow. Peter wasn't the only one who was struggling with Jesus' answer. I think all the disciples were. We know Thomas did that same night in the very next chapter, John chapter 14. Jesus said to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions, many wonderful dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. 
But Thomas was a little bit like me and maybe like some of you. He struggled with some doubts. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how in the world can we know the way? A little bit later, after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appears to the disciples on a Sunday night. Sometimes it's good to show up for church on Sunday night. And he appeared to the disciples on Sunday night, and everybody was there except Judas who'd hanged himself and Thomas. Thomas wasn't there, and the disciples told him, Thomas, you should have been there. It was amazing. We saw Jesus, and he's alive. What's Thomas say? Thomas says, I don't believe you unless I can put my fingers into the nail prints in his hand. Unless I can put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He struggled with doubts. You may struggle with doubts as well. But here's the good news for us. You don't have to know all the answers. You just have to know the one who has all the answers. The philosophy teacher was about to give a major exam to his philosophy students. He said, next week, you're going to have a final exam. It's going to be comprehensive, and it will be the hardest test that you've ever taken. just want to tell you that up front. But here's some good news. I'm going to let you take one sheet of paper apiece, and you can write down everything you want to from my notes, from my lectures, from the book, whatever. But you write it all down on that sheet of paper, and you can bring the piece of paper into class. Okay? You can put anything you want on that sheet of paper. Anything. So... Students left, they all got home, and they all started writing, just as tiny as they could write. You know, when you're that young, you can see small print, right? And so they're writing as small as they could write. Finally, the time came for the test. Students all showed up. Each of them had a sheet of paper with them, and they had thousands of words on their sheets of paper. Each of them did. There was one student, however, who came into the class, and he had a blank sheet of paper. And he puts a paper down on the floor. The other students are looking at him like, this guy's crazy. You had an opportunity. You could have written down all of the notes. You could have written down thousands of words that would help you on this test, but you didn't write down a word. He doesn't seem to be upset. He's pretty calm. He's pretty relaxed. The bell rings. The teacher hands out the test. The students start writing. All except the one. That one student, he then looks over toward the door. He motions for a graduating PhD student to walk into the room and stand on his piece of paper. And then that first-year philosophy student begins to ask the PhD student who is graduating at the top of his class all the questions that he had on the test. You see, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to know the one who does have all the answers. Praise God, we do. We know Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't always give you all of the answers, but he is the answer. He's not one answer among many. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We've taken a snapshot of Jesus' glory. We've gotten a glimpse of the disciples' uncertainty. Now, let's take a look at the heart of the message as we check out our love, love's priority. You thought I'd never get there, didn't you? The word love is used 54 times in the book of John. 44 of those times are in chapters 13 to 22. That's a whole lot of love. In verse 34, Jesus tells the disciples this. A new commandment 
I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Two specifics here. First of all, this is a command, not an option. Jesus didn't say, this is my suggestion. He said, this is my commandment. How many of you know there's a difference? Jesus is not giving us options here. He's given a commandment. And this commandment is not easy, yet it's at the heart of the Christian faith. This is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another. Say the word love with me. Love. Say love one another. Love one another. Romans 13, 8 tells us to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. An expert in the Jewish law once asked Jesus, which commandment is the greatest? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is likened to it. He said, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commands hang all of the law and the prophets. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that if we speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, we're like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you ever heard a gong? How many of you would like to hear a gong going off every five seconds for the next 30 minutes? I don't think so, right? It's pretty good in the middle of a concert for one time during the song, but that's about it. How many of you like cymbals and drums? Some of you do. Some of you probably don't, all right? Those, some people raise their hand like, I do, but I don't want to tell anybody. All right. I like cymbals. I like drums. But I tell you what, I don't want to hear a concert with 30 minutes of just cymbal playing. Do you? Bang, 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 bang. That would be enough. That would be way too much, right? Well, the Bible says that if we don't have love, we're like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's annoying. That doesn't mean that loving one another will be easy. How many of you have people in your life that are difficult to love? And you're sitting by them right now. Okay. Yeah, I know. People can be hard to love, can they not? People that you're married to can be hard to love, can they not? People that are your children can be hard to love, can they not? Your parents can be hard to love, can they not? People in church can be hard to love, can they not? Sometimes especially people in the church are hard to love, are they not? Sometimes we're probably all hard to love, are we not? What joy to love the saints above when I get home to glory. To love below the saints I know, well, that's another story. To love mankind, I always find to be a simple task. But to have love for the man next door is more than I should ask. Love's full and free when two agree. It isn't hard at all. But easy it ain't to love the saint who drives me up a wall. Got anybody like that? When someone's kind and has Christ's mind, I love him with great ease. But one who hurts with words he blurts, don't make me love him, please. Some people are hard to love, but love is not a feeling. Love is not based on the circumstances. Love is a decision. Say the word decision with me. Decision. You have to make a decision. I will love people because I'm 
told by Christ to love people. And sometimes you have to love Christ, love people through the power of Christ because you can't do it on your own, right? If you notice our core values over here, we're going to love God. The second thing says we're going to do what? Love people. All kinds of people. Rich people, poor people, black people, white people, people who look like you, people who think like you, people who don't look like you, people who don't think like you, people who really get on your nerves. We choose to love people. Why? Because we're commanded to love. And Christ gives us the power to love. Not only is this a commandment, this is a new commandment. New commandment is not so much new in time as it is new in understanding. The Old Testament law had already commanded God's people to love their neighbors themselves. But this commandment to love was new in that it was special. A special love for believers based on the love of Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus love? First of all, he loved unconditionally. Say the word unconditionally with me. Unconditionally. Romans 5, 8 we looked at earlier. For God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died for you. He didn't wait for you to try to be really good. He didn't wait for you to start going to church. He saw you there in your sin and he died for you right where you were. He loves you right where you are. But too often our love for one another is conditional. Sometimes we're like Mary. Mary had fallen in love with a young man named Jimmy. And Mary and Jimmy decided to get married. And uh, Jimmy was a great guy, had a great job, had a nice car. He's about to build a really nice home. And, and Mary <clears throat> loved the idea of being married to Jimmy. But then one day, Jimmy lost his job. And he couldn't find another job. And he started losing some of his possessions. He lost his car. He's not going to be able to finish building his house. And he and Mary are supposed to get married in about three months. And then Mary starts thinking, you know what? I don't think I want to marry this guy. And so she breaks up with him. But then, about a month later, Mary had a change of heart. Dearest Jimmy, she said, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm yours forever. Signed, Mary. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. <laughs> Too often our love for one another is based on conditions, not upon Christ. Christ loved unconditionally. He also loved sacrificially. John 3.16 says this. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that incredible? God loved you so much he sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to come to this earth and die on the cross for your sin. We should never get over that. His sacrificial love for us. Jesus also loved understandingly. Think about it. 
Jesus knew what those disciples would be like. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew the disciples would desert him. He knew they would fail over and over, time and time again, and yet he still loved them enough to die for them. He also loves you as well. In the middle of whatever you're going through, Jesus Christ loves you, and he understands you. He knows you better than anyone or anything, and he loves you right where you are. Jesus also loved forgivingly. In fact, Jesus was the greatest model of forgiveness. He forgave Peter when he denied him. He forgave the soldiers when they nailed him to the cross. He forgives us, even though we blow it time after time after time. He loves you, and he forgives you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you will confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I don't know what your situation is today or your struggle or your issue or your need. You may feel like, I've blown it too big time. I can't be right with God again. Yes, you can by the power of Christ. If you will turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ today. And we need, because Christ has forgiven us, to forgive others. But forgiveness is not always easy. Sometimes you may feel like Lucy as she stands with her arms folded and a resolute expression on her face while Charlie Brown pleads with her. How many of you know who Charlie and Lucy are, okay? Even the young people, right? Charlie Brown, yeah, you know who Charlie Brown is. Well, anyway, they're having a discussion. Charlie Brown pleads with Lucy. Lucy, he says, you must be more loving. The world needs love. Make this world a better place, Lucy, by loving someone else. At that, Lucy whirls around angrily, and Charlie goes flipping around backwards. Look, you blockhead, she said. The world I love is the people I can't stand. You ever feel like that? This commandment was new in how it related to the love of Jesus for his disciples. This commandment was also new in another way. Verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Listen, the world is not going to know we're Jesus' disciples simply because we meet for church on Sunday. Now, meeting for church on Sunday is a great thing to do. We need to do that. The Bible commands that. But that's not going to prove to the world that we really know God has really made a difference in our lives. But if we will love one another through the thick and the thin and the easy and the hard even sometimes when people tick you off. Anybody ever get ticked off by other people? All right, I got a few hands. Even if we will love one another when people upset us and people make us angry, the world will notice. But when they see world people in the church bickering and fighting and all that kind of stuff those other churches do, you know, the world's going, I don't want to be a part of that. We got to love people in the church and outside of the church. No matter who they are, no matter what they do, we have to choose to love. And the world will notice when we do. Close with this. A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person walked by and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. The Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated how deep the pit was. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. An IRS agent asked if he's paying taxes on the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. 
A fire and brimstone preacher said, you deserve your pit. A Christian scientist observed, the pit's just in your mind. The psychologist noted, your mother and father are to blame for your being in that pit. A self-esteem therapist said, believe in yourself and you can get up out of the pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist claimed, they will get worse. Jesus, seeing the man in the pit, took him by the hand and he lifted him up out of the pit. And that's what we're to do in this world. We look for people who are hurting. We look for people who are struggling. We look for people who are in need, and we reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ. Because he loved us, we must also love one another and love people out there who are in a pit and need the love of Jesus Christ in their lives. Would you pray with me?